The room was warm and clean, the curtains drawn, the two table lamps alight, hers and the one by the empty chair opposite. On the sideboard behind her, two tall glasses, soda water, whiskey, fresh ice cubes in the thermos bucket. Mary Maloney was waiting for her husband to come home from work. Lightning recap in Lamb to the Slaughter by Roald Dahl. Mary Maloney, wife of the town police chief, takes drastic action when she discovers something terrible about her husband. This is Short Story Short Podcast. Today, facing the important question, I'm here with Christy Baxter. And this is a serious story of a serious question of a serious time of life. And the approximate word count is 3,899 words. Christy, who wrote these 3,899 words? These 3,899 words were written by a very serious man named Roald Dahl. And what did he call these 3,899 words? Lamb to the slaughter. (laughs) This is a remarkably interesting story that is utterly cliched only because so many people have stolen from him. (laughs) (laughs) I almost kind of unwittingly stole some aspects of it in a short story that I wrote years ago, years before I first read this story and started to recognize them immediately as I started writing. And I was like, oops, um, apologies, sir. And it's, it's interesting because it is the opposite of a locked room murder mystery. And I like that about it. It is a. It is similar to the film, well, the first 85% of the film, Rope, where you know exactly what happened and you're wondering how they're going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's become a cliche. It really has. But it is so well done. And I wish I could see this through the eyes of 19... I'm just going to throw a year out there. 50? But the beauty of it is that it has it has all the roll doll aspects you expect when he's writing for adults. 1954. I was close without going over, so I win the showcase showdown. Um, I think it has that sort of strangeness within the mundane that I like about Dahl a lot. And here it is a murder story wrapped up in a relatively normal family setting-ish thing. He uses that that family setting and, and then tosses in a pinch of, of drama 
And while it is cliche drama, some cliches are cliches for a reason, you know, (laughs) and the man leaving his pregnant wife, who we can only assume he's leaving her for a mistress. We don't know for sure because it's not clarified by the story. But I think the reason it's not clarified by the story is because even then it was a cliche and Roald Dahl knew that we would know. Mm-hmm. And so, or, or, or maybe a, a manstress, maybe a manstress, who knows? Um, so we don't, but that's kind of what I'm feeling. And so he uses this family drama to kind of get this instigating, this inciting incident for the main crux and the main action of the story. And it thrusts the story forward. But I think the thing is, is I, maybe it's my experience having written a story semi like this. I knew from the very beginning, but I was also surprised. I was surprised by the murder weapon. I was surprised by how things proceeded afterwards. So it doesn't matter, even if you use cliches or tropes or whatever, you just need to make them your own and you just need to still make them surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the, where I'm just going to give it away, um, she kills him with a, leg, a frozen leg of lamb. Um, yeah. And... I think what does this so well, why this is so impactful is that, and impactful is not technically a word, is that he uses sentence and paragraph variation so well. And, you know, the the entire segment of her smacking him with the <laughs> leg of lamb is so good because it has that variation to it. You know, literally the line, for God's sakes, he said, hearing her and not turning around, don't make supper for me. I'm going out. Uh, and then you get a, a regular size paragraph and then you get, she might as well have hit him with a steel club. I mean, just this variant of pacing that he does, it causes you to start and stop and start and stop. And I think that's actually an important element here because of the sort of both flow and lack of flow, it is, it's gating you. And I think that having that gate leads you to focusing on more important, the more important aspects that he says. I mean, one of the great, great lines in the entire thing is, all right, she told herself, so I've killed him. Uh, <laughs> it's perfect stop to make you realize the character is aware of what's going on. And that's actually key. Um, that also means she can probably get premeditation. That is true. If they can read her mind or get that information out of her. But yeah, I, I do agree that Rodol uses pacing and syntax and structure to such great effect that it almost sort of mimics the actions happening within the story. The, the, the violence of the crash, the noise, the small table over, overturning helped bring her out of her shock. That's all one flowing thing that are these things like happening all at once because that's how it's happening in her head. And then we have this longer sentence. She came out slowly feeling cold and surprised and she stood for a while blinking at the body, still holding the ridiculous piece of meat tight with both hands. And it's just giving us all this information. It's almost like we are feeling everything as she feels it. And I, I think that 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 is really important for pacing that if you can, if you can match it sort of to the actions and the moments in the story beat by beat, I think, especially in a shorter piece like this, where you need to use it to such effect, you only have so much space. 
I think it can be a, a great tool in the hands of the right writer, says the person whose biggest writing flaw is probably pacing. My biggest weakness as a writer, of course, is my love of typing as opposed to making words. But I think let's actually take this from another angle, as I know you are a true crime podcaster and uh, as am I. Do you buy this? That? Okay, what aspect of it? What aspect of it? Do I buy that she could have killed him with a leg of lamb? Do I buy that she kind of seems to have gotten away with it at the end, but we don't know for sure, or it's left a little ambiguous uh, as to what happens next? Do we buy that the cops aren't more savvy? Uh, what aspect of this? <laughs> Let's start with the savvy cops part. Or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I think that's a, in a large part sort of the point because that's where a lot of the humor comes in in the fact that at the very end, spoilers, I mean, I don't know why people would listen to this without having read the story, but if you haven't, go read the story. It's really good. And so, but they're literally eating the murder weapon <laughs> and commenting on how it, the murder weapon could be right under their nose. And that is so beautifully done, but I, I do think it's believable especially in 1954. Look, I co-host Old Timey Crimey. At the current moment, we cut off at 1953. This is one year ahead. I can, I can tell you in the 1950s, in 1953, there were plenty of cops that weren't that bright. And so probably those same cops were not that bright in 1954. Yeah, and see, that sort of thing, I get them as as the savvy cops, as the unsavvy cops, I mean. But what I don't get is them not automatically jumping to it being the uh, spouse. Yeah, that is the the general first assumption that you make. But Rob Dahl, I think, does a pretty good job at passing that off, that she she did go and get her alibi. They do go check up on that. Uh, You know, does it necessarily cover the entire time that the murder could have happened? Probably not, but you know, maybe they haven't figured out time of death just yet. And so they they just seem really to believe her because she's just so, she's so honest in her grief because Mm -hmm. I think it's, there's still grief beyond having lost her husband to death that she caused. There's also the grief that just so recently she was losing her husband to someone or something else, Mm -hmm. to just him wanting to leave her. And so she, she has real grief in addition to the, the fake grief that she has to put on in order to get by. And I think one of the other things that has me questioning as a podcaster, the lack of merch. I think really this needed merch, um, but no. <laughs> I think... A leg of lamb shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Keychain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I think the, the murder itself, it doesn't necessarily seem like she was planning it. And of course she just happens to find the leg of lamb, (laughs) happens to. Um, But at the same time, she gets it together very quickly. She really does. I don't know how, um, because you would think most people would be a mess. I mean, just just five minutes ago, she really loved her husband. She really did. He was her whole world. And now she's like, eh, there's a leg of lamb in here and then goes upstairs and bonks him on the head with it. Like fatal bonk. It, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst kind of bonk. <laughs> and so I just feel like 
I do believe that Road Dahl is not setting her up to be an unreliable narrator. I believe <laughs> that he's setting us up to see this from her point of view and to believe her. Um, how believable is it? Well, as far as that goes, sometimes people just go into shock. And even in, when you're in shock, sometimes you can do one or two things right, apparently. And in the way that he is setting her up as a reliable narrator, he also has her does the perfect 911 call. Or I guess 999 call. <laughs> If that was even a thing, it was just the police station back then. True. This was this was pre Kitty Genovese, far pre, and another country. Yeah, true. Technically, um, he said with quotation fingers. <laughs> I mean, it's a like the nine one one call is exactly what we're expecting from the police call. It's uh, minor hysterics, but enough to be understood. And then the very clear, this is something that happened. And then glosses over the interesting part. She briefly told her the story about going to the grocery and coming back to find him on the floor. And sort of the glossing over is the key <laughs> to that, I think. I think this works on that level, but at the same time, it makes her seem pretty cold-blooded. Yeah, and if not cold-blooded, at least very much removed from the reality of her situation. I mean, she asks all these questions at the very beginning. But the thing is, is that I think that she is removed. The only connection that she has to the situation, her only concern, as is demonstrated by all the questions that she asks and the answer that she comes to, is her baby. Mm. That's what it is. She says she doesn't care if she swings or electrocutes or whatever for this. She cares about her baby and that's it. It's when, when she is asking herself questions and she thinks about her baby that she's like, okay, I got I to gotta straighten up and fly right. I got to try and, and get the, out of this so that my baby can live and I can take care of him or her. And so I think that's what allows her to have this removed. Do I think she might be some kind of sociopath? It's entirely possible. But also, do I think I'm diagnosing a fictional character? It's entirely possible. Correct. And... We, we have the ending telegraphed, of course, with get the weapon and you've got the man. And what's actually interesting with that is that in the adaptations of it that uh, were done for television in the 19, one in 1957 and I think one in 63, in the second one, they have, because at that time they had to show uh, a criminal getting punished for their thing, the cop realizes that he's eaten part of the thing but still has the bone and that is able to be used as the, as a weapon to prove that she did it. Uh, the British one leaves it more open like this one. And I think that both of those are actually interesting points in that could a leg of lamb, a frozen leg of lamb be a weapon? Oh, absolutely. But could you cook it in that amount of time? I mean, we do get a sort of disjointed idea of time there's police coming and going they're doing all this procedure they're talking to her then they're going off and doing other things and talking to her and doing other things and so we don't really get an idea of how much time passes i don't know how long it takes to cook lamb so i don't know why i'm trying to advise you on this particular topic i could tell you how long it takes to cook a lamb then do so please sir don't tell me how to live my life. Um, oh. 
roughly 22 minutes a pound. So, Hmm. but it's frozen. Yeah. So that adds at least an hour to an hour and a half. How many pounds do you think this was in order to kill a man frozen? I would say two pounds minimum. Okay. So she needs like two to two and a half hours ish. I would say so. I could see the cops being there for that amount of time, gathering evidence and talking. And, you know, they're, maybe they're slow at their job. They're not, they're not super speedy. And that's fine. You should, you should be deliberate and careful and slow when you're at a crime scene, for God's sakes, of all places. But they're also and drinking. They're also <laughs> drinking. Yeah, they stop, stop, have a little nip of whiskey. So, yeah, I, I totally think that I, I totally buy that she could have cooked it in that amount of time. So, yeah, I, I buy that part. I just want to know, like, this ambiguous ending... What do you think? Do you think that she gets away with it or not? I think Roald Dahl is enough of a masochist to let us know if the character we have been punished in the end. And I think that she did get away with it. Okay. All right. I agree with you on that. I think she did get away with it too. There is a hint just in the fact that she's giggling when they're eating the lamb and and talking about it. There is a hint that maybe she doesn't get away with it just because she is betraying herself or acting strangely, but it's easy to pass that off as grief or shock. And she could just immediately like fall to pieces or even just pretend that she's actually sobbing. You know, it goes from, (laughs) that's not realistic sounding at all, but you get the drift. I think one of the, I think the one thing that does indicate that, because I think Roald Dahl always highlights the what is contrary to the path that the story is going to take. And when he says, probably right under our very noses, what do you think, Jack? That's indicating that he thinks that it's, we're supposed to think that they know, mm-hmm. but they obviously don't. Yeah, as far as character consistency goes, it would not be consistent for them to know much of anything at this point. Yes, much like most millennials. Um, Oh, bird. Hey! Gen X bird. Xer, (laughs) go wear your flannel and listen to your Nirvana. Okay, first off, I'm a Morrissey Gen Xer, not a Kurt Cobain Gen Xer. Thank you. I, I think, I think... You have some reality bites to be watching. I really do now. <laughs> I know, right? Great movie. I, I do love it. <laughs> it's not, that's that, not a slam. That Empire actually... Records back to back. <laughs> yes, damn the man. Yeah, that, that's not a that's not a slam. That's just a suggestion that of good films. Correct, because Gen X is the only generation that had good taste in movies. Jesus, I gave you, I gave you one, and then you just yeah. Got anything else on this one there, Christy? No, just that I enjoyed it. It was a it was a very snappy and suspenseful read. The su- suspense is very well done, even though, like you said, it, we know what's going to happen. But he's rolled all, that guy whose name I can't say right now uh, manages to absolutely one hundred percent pull it off. I believe. I say it is three thousand eight hundred ninety nine words of pure pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, hey, Christy. Hey, Chris. What are we going to read? Next week, we are going to read a story called The Parsley Garden. And who is that by, Chris? Why, that's by America's greatest dead writer, Mr. William Saroyan. 
All right. Well, we'll see if any other dead writers have anything to say about that. Oh, what's that? I'm listening. I don't hear anything. (laughs) (laughs) I like what you did there because dead men tell no tales. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Well, in that case, this has been short story. Short podcast.